right, welcome everybody to the latest episode of the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the past lives and side gigs of the really cool people uh, that deliver your insights every day. So today, I'm super excited uh, to welcome Rini Huey Lipton to the call today. Hi, Rini. Hi. Hey. So uh, I'm doing great. How are you? I, you know, doing excellent. Even with all the the forest fires and the smoke, we're we're dealing with it up here in the Pacific Northwest, so uh, it's all good. There's also this thing, this pandemic thing that's going on. You might have heard. Yeah, I heard about that. I heard about that. Yeah, check <laughs> check out the news. You might find something on it. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so so let me let me blow a little sunshine up your butt if I might. Nice. Uh, <laughs> so Rini has had a very successful career as an agency planner, a strategist an insight expert with some of the very best uh, creative agencies and insights consultancies out there. Uh, but that's not all that Rini's about. Uh, she's not shy at all uh, <laughs> when it comes to telling it like it is and trying to make the world a little bit of a better place. So Rini is uh, something you might not know about her is that she's currently authoring a book. She's the founder of a really cool organization called the Dame Collective that's doing great things, and I'll let you tell her all about it. So uh, with that, we start with Rini. All right, so Rini, uh, you, if I recall correctly, you started your career on the agency side, the ad agency side, is that right? Yeah, I did, uh, with Livingston and Company, which doesn't quite exist anymore, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so... So tell us about that and kind of your journey to where you are now and how Insights has played into that journey. Yeah, you know, it's, um, I usually sort of tell this part of the story sort of, uh, you know, with jokes and, and funny stuff, but um, there was a lot of time to think when it come when, you know, with COVID and everything. And the reality is, is that, you know, I grew up in, a, in an alcoholic uh, household. And when you do that, um, you're sort of hyper aware of everything that's around you, right? A facial tics, body language, a different tone. You're just so aware. And I think for me, that made me want to find out and to understand the why of things. Why is this happening? What's going on? And that sort of uh, paired with the fact that I sort of fell into advertising uh, as a secretary to Pat Duty at Livingston and Company. Um, oh. And then left with Pat and Tracy to form Wong Duty um, was, you know, really where I found my love of putting why, the why of things together with um, creativity, right? Mm -hmm. And then telling these stories. And, you know, when you, when you join a startup, you know, you sort of do everything. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> right, you know, and, um, and I, you know, I loved uh, working with Pat and Tracy, but I wasn't, you know, I was doing, you know, print production and, you know, which was ridiculous. I had no idea what I was doing, but you just do it, right? That whole mm -hmm. make it till you make it thing. Yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> make it till you fuck up something really bad. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and, you know, so then I said, okay, I really want to do this planning thing. Uh, how do I do this? So then I, I joined Darcy Detroit, um, you know, because you're working on cars, you get a lot of international experience, they spent a ton on research, so you get to know all that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm like, wow, you know, this isn't as creative as I wanted it to be. So I joined FCB in uh, 
San Francisco um, mm -hmm. for about a year because they had AT&T and that's what I was working on and they lost AT&T and when you lose something that big, yeah. yeah. So I went, exactly, catastrophe. So then I went to uh, GSD&M in Austin uh, and spent 12 years there uh, and um, both was a sort of strategist but also ran the department um, uh, for, uh, for a while. Mm -hmm. um, do you, you start to understand, you know, uh, really sort of the, the business of, of insights or the business of strategy in that uh, you really have to take off your, your unicorn glowy blinders and say, okay, <laughs> as Pat Duty always said, it's, it's more ditch digging than brain surgery. <laughs> and it's, it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. But I got to learn all that in a, in a, God, the GSD&M uh, culture then was, you know, I, I don't think they ever said no if I said, well, what if we check out this second life thing and build an agency on there? Or what if we, you know, what's going on with this? And they never said no. Um, and it was a really amazing way to sort of figure out what I love to do, um, mm -hmm. which is this insights thing, right? Right. It's always fun to sort of be running all over and trying all these new things. And it's, um, to be honest, it's, it's very ego boosting, right? Oh, Roy wants me to do this or so-and-so wants me to do that. It's like, oh, look at me, <laughs> <laughs> which is all false bullshit. Because if, if an organization has someone like me that is excited about these things, of course they're going to ask you, right? Yeah. Um, because you're too stupid to say no and say, wait a minute, I have two kids. I have a job. Uh, <laughs> I don't have time to do this other stuff. Um, and that's why from there I went to uh, Brain Juicer, which is now System One, mm -hmm. right? Because um, they really started with that idea of, you know, market research is broken, which I absolutely believed at the time. Sure. And, and still do for, for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and then... And then Sparks and Honey, because culture has been something that I've applied to my work all along, but no one had codified it. No one had sort of said, okay, this is how we make culture relevant to the clients. Mm -hmm. uh, and now I met Maru and I get to sort of do, bring everything that I've ever learned, uh, you know, to this job, which I love, um, which is great. So, you know, yeah. that's my... That's my career initial. And along the way, there were really horrible times yeah. <laughs> and really fantastic times, right? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. All yeah. of that. And I think, I think anybody in a career says that, but I think it's, it's very real in advertising um, mm -hmm. because of the emotions, right? Because yeah. of the all of that that goes with it, so. Yeah, the big wins, the big losses, the yeah. big layoffs, the, um, exactly. the changes in the market, all that good stuff. So yeah, yeah. That, there's a lot there. But, uh, but I know also uh, outside of your professional career, you've had a real passion uh, for, uh, for women's issues. Mm. And uh, I know you've been actively involved with the 3% Conference uh, yeah. and the Dane Collective and the book that's coming out. Tell us all about that. Uh, yeah, the, you know, it was all sort of percolating at the same time, right? But 
you know, um, an agency here in Seattle uh, uh, hired us, moved us out here. Uh, and then, you know, before I was even out of um, corporate housing, they laid a bunch of us off. Um, wow. And I was pissed. Yeah. <laughs> who does that? And who doesn't do it face to face? But that's a whole other story. But when I sat down to sort of write about it, the reality was, is I wasn't just angry. I was scared to death, right? Mm -hmm. I was 52. Who's going to hire, right? A chubby 52 year old, you know, mouthy broad, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, to, to do this. And, and, and that's the emotion talking because logically I know, you know, yeah, a lot of people would hire me, but at that sure. moment it is. And then you sort of get into the job hunt and, you know, you can't understand why it's like, wow, you know, why aren't my, the things I've applied to on LinkedIn, which is a racket right up there, quite frankly, with home inspections during the buying project. <laughs> but it is, it's like, why, you know, why isn't this happening? So you do some research and you find that, you know, women, uh, you know, only get their resumes uh, looked at you know, every tiny once in a while, like 13% less on LinkedIn than men wow. um, do. And, and globally, a study out of Spain found uh, with all things being equal, women, uh, women's resumes are 30% less likely to get looked at. Um, wow. And I'm like, this is bullshit, right? Because older women especially, um, and, and yeah, don't even talk to me about like raising family gaps. Yeah, it's not as if we turn our brain off <laughs> and we take time off, right? We're learning, we're doing, you know, I think, and, you know, you can look at any study, the, the reality of, of, you know, what we bring to the party um, is, is so much more, obviously, than people get us credit for. And so the Dame Collective came out of all of that. And I said, you know, I want to create a site where women over 40 from any industry, from any country can put their resume, can put their work up on and have, you know, and then we can send the companies that need to hire these women to them. And it's just yeah. all women, right? And they can find sort of the best people, whether it's uh, full time or, or project, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it doesn't cost anything because you know, I didn't want to put another barrier in front of yes. us, yeah. right? right. Um, uh, so yeah, and so the Dame Collective is, you know, it's very, it has attitude, right? right. <laughs> it definitely does. Um, and, you know, I, I got some advice at the beginning, oh, maybe you should test this. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go through two years of testing, <laughs> you know? I, that's ridiculous. Yeah. We got it done in like six weeks. Um, and cool. I said, and I want this attitude, right? Because, you know, if any, uh, you know, every woman I've met, woman I've met my age has attitude. Um, and uh, so wh why hide it? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very rock and roll, if you ask me. So, yeah, thanks. <laughs> so super cool. Um, so, so tell us about your book as well. Yeah. Um, uh, stigma, it's called Stigmata, the Bloody Reality of Being a Woman at Work. Um, mm -hmm. And it came from a, a talk I gave at the 3% conference about how women bleed, breed, and feed, and how it affects ourselves at work, right? It, um, because we are 
conditioned by society, by culture to hide ourselves, to make ourselves smaller um, if our body is doing something that isn't deemed sort of socially acceptable, like A, bleeding or our nipple spurting milk, which yes, I've had happen. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, menopause, sitting in a meeting, just sweating like a pig. You know, we're all, we're not supposed to sort of let that show. We're not supposed to, you know, disrupt the, uh, you know, the meeting or the moment with any of that stuff. And, and that's bullshit, right? Yeah. Um, and we as an industry, A, need to be more realistic about it, right? I can't tell you how many times I've seen ads about periods, you know, with a beautiful set of legs with like glitter running down it. I'm sorry. <laughs> there is no correlation between being on your period and sort of a glitter river of blood flowing down your thigh. It's, <laughs> you know, and, and why would we teach young girls that, right? Yeah. Why do we teach them to sort of, oh, you know, how many times we've we seen a woman sort of in a commercial or in real life sort of scooting along the wall with her back to it, right? Sort of ashamed and embarrassed, but yet laughing. I'm like, no, you know, yeah. it's like, hey, you know, this is a fan. I carry it because I'm, I sweat like a pig. I have, you know, really <laughs> <laughs> menopause right now. Um, <laughs> or, you know, yeah, get yeah. up and, and you know, and so the book really came uh, out of that because after the talk, I had young girls coming up to me out of the audience and saying, thank you. We, this is how we are. We want to see more of this. And then I had older women my age coming up and saying, you know, I hid my entire uh, breast cancer experience from work because A, it's cancer and People freak out, and you know, with your, it's, it's hard enough being a woman at work, but right. you know, no one wants to talk about you know breast cancer or cervical cancer or you know whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And and I just thought, God, the energy we spend as women hiding things like that. Right. And there's studies out there. It 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 takes away our creativity, right? Women who are trying to hide. Uh, something physically at their body and the emotions that come with it are like 69% mm -hmm. less likely to sort of be as creative as they could be. In wow. The yeah. During those moments. Um, and I'm just, I'm just done with it. I'm just mm -hmm. done with, with, you know, having to, to hide all that. Um, and for those of us who fit into, you know, buckets of other, uh, like the small mm -hmm. bucket of, of me, you know, I'm a, I'm a bigger woman, but also black women or Latino women or all these, you know, Latinas, you know, they, they have a lot more to deal with as well. Right. And it's just exhausting uh, yeah. to sort of deal with all that. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great topic. And I think it's, I think it's very timely. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of curious as well. Um, what other lessons you might draw from, let's say, your your professional career that you're applying yeah. to to your writing, or maybe even vice versa, that you could share? You know, it's it's funny. The this the my first talk at uh, the three percent was supposed to be a I don't know how you pronounce it a pechacucha, pechucucha, whatever it's called, right? Yeah. 
seven seconds per slide or something. Yeah, I, 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 I was the right. I was the third of three, and the first two like were super polished and nailed their times and their slides work. I got up there, the the slides went haywire, and I just had to wing it. Right. And uh, I was so in the moment that I didn't have time to try to be anything. I didn't have time or whatever, you know, to be anything other than who I am. Right. Right. Um, the sort of goofy, blunt, you know, woman who uses humor a lot. And I, you know, I got a standing ovation, I, you know, and yeah. I think that was because I was as raw, you know, mm-hmm. as, as possible. And I think people appreciate that. Someone just standing up there and um, putting it all out there. Now, like Cindy Gallup does it in this incredibly polished, powerful way. Right. Um, She's been at it for a while. And uh, yeah, and that, and that's who she is. I'm, yep. I, I'm less that. <laughs> right? um, and I, that really, and I had been on a bit of a journey trying to say, okay, stop trying to be everything else. Mm-hmm. But it was a, a big eye-opening moment where I just said, okay, just shake it, you know, oh God, I hate her, but shake it all <laughs> off <laughs> and, and, and just be you, which yeah. is harder, right, than, than I think I've had, um, when I was at uh, Sparks and Honey uh, working on McDonald's, one of the jobs I had to do was stand up in front of the agency every day and talk about um, 30 cultural uh, things that we found in the last 24 to 48 hours. Uh-huh. And that's, you have to make it interesting for people, right? And yep. so I just did it the way I did it. I, I didn't do it the way anybody else did it. And you know, the number of women who came up to me and say, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you just be yourself yeah. like that? Um, and I'm like, it's hard, right? It's so hard. Um, because you're, you're measuring yourself, your other people are measuring you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a lot of practice and guts and just not caring anymore, quite frankly, just yeah. saying, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> to just I, say, well, yeah, I, I, it's too hard to do it any other way now. Yeah. I know I speak for many when I say I'm so glad that you put in the work and that you're able to sort of uh, be your authentic self every time that I talk to you and interact with you. And, and indeed, even on your daily LinkedIn messages, it's, right. it's like, this is Rini and this is what she's doing and this is what she's all about. And you don't care what anyone has to say about that. So it's right. so refreshing about that. I must say. You know, it's interesting. I, my daughter, my daughter, I have two kids, my daughter is 17. And when I was growing up, you know, my mom cut our hair, she shopped for our clothes, she, you know, I had no sense of who I was anyway, until, you know, sort of my mid thirties, my daughter, we've, you know, I've raised, I I promised myself, I'm never going to say no to her, whatever she wants to do with her hair. I did when she wanted dreads when she was like six. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) but and and she has this TikTok channel, right? Mm-hmm. That just blew up. And she's like, "Mom, I don't, I don't have a shtick. I don't do anything." And I'm like, "Soph, 
they just like seeing you for you. You were just doing yourself on there. And I said, and I thought, I was thinking myself, you know, after we had this discussion where I was like, God, if only I had known that when I was 17. Yeah. Yeah. You know, instead of what, you know, uh, you know, when I figured it out and it's, um, I, I think, I hope that that generation, her generation, and I see, I see girls who are, are just so much more powerful uh, mm-hmm. than we ever were. Um, but they also have a lot more to deal with. But anyway, my point yeah. was, it's just, it is that ability to just be yourself. Yeah. Right. And she, and, you know, she started the TikTok for the same reason I started, um, you know, the, the top five on LinkedIn is how am I making sense of this world right now? Right. So she's putting things out there that she needs. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what people are relating to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's great. That's great. Um, so, so let me ask you, you have such a unique perspective uh, and you've always uh, been in the creative space. Mm. Um, and now you're SVP of insights at Maru Matchbox. So you must have a point of view on what the future of human understanding looks like <laughs> from an insights perspective. It's terrifying. Uh, th- <laughs> <laughs> I, I joke, but it, it, it sort of is, right? It's, um, uh, we, the, the big picture is incredibly divided, obviously, um, and becoming more so, right? Mm-hmm. The, the number of people who have had to, myself included, say, you know what, I, I need to step away from you as a family member because I don't understand how you can support this person, you know? <laughs> I think I know what you're getting at. <laughs> right, yeah, so Trump and all that sort of stuff. And many families have, have sort of gone through that, but it's becoming, you know, that idea of whether Trump wins or loses, it's going to be ugly. And you know, how do we... How do we make sense of that? And how do we help our clients make sense of that yeah. in a way where they should become really active? I'm a huge proponent of companies stepping up and into the breach, right? The government mm-hmm. has let us down in any number of ways. Who mm-hmm. steps up? Now you see Nike stepping up once in a while with an ad or with this or everything. But I mean like really stepping up. Mm-hmm. And sort of say, and, and, and actually enacting, you know, change as opposed to sort of a beautiful uh, campaign about it. Right. The, the day-to-day part of, of human understanding, I think, relies, I think I see, it relies, and it's a, it's a crap word for it, but I'll use it, aggregation. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much information out there and it comes so easy. I see too many people grabbing one study or one tweet off the internet and saying, here, here's what you need to know about this group of people or this generation. And that's right. too, and it's too easy and yep. shame on them. Um, <laughs> but, and I think we sort of got overloaded with the keep it simple, stupid message in marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it simple. But that doesn't mean everything that goes into it isn't complicated as fuck. I mean, we're yeah. human beings. We're complicated. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have to look across all types of information, whether it's secondary or primary research, whether it's someone's, you know, a, a series, a years of tweets, whatever it is, a, you know, yeah. 20 years of tweets, which we don't have, of course, all that sort of stuff. But um, you have to, and I think that's what it's going to be in, in sort of the future, which is, is that idea of, yeah, how do I, how do I meld everything I learned from my secondary review combined with my either qualitative or quantitative combined mm -hmm. with sort of the workshop where the client brings in all of this other sort of hidden knowledge, right? Yeah. That they might not even know they have until you say, oh, and we found this. And they're like, oh my God, right? Yeah. And it's messy and people don't want messy, but it is messy. It is messy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's you got to love that mess. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is, you know, a lot of people think of big data as maybe one giant source mm. that can that can be the one source that'll answer your question versus <laughs> what you're saying is big data is maybe a whole ton of messy sources that will allow us yeah. to understand what converges and what diverges. And, and exactly. Yeah. Okay. okay and then cool. it's organic, especially yeah. now with the shifting culture. Right. Right. I also think that we as a industry and I, uh, both market research and advertising has really come to rely on that idea of a corporate voice as differentiator, right? All of, mm. well, I don't think it exists anymore, but Holland Partners work looks like you can tell when it's a work from this agency or that agency, you can right. tell when this report is from this consultant or that. And I'm really, really, really against that mm. um, because you lose something in that translation. You lose that voice. Um, that comes from the research, that comes from everything you've learned. The story right. you tell should be told in that voice, not in some corporate voice, right? Right. right. Uh, so, I mean, it's a little thing, but it's, I, I think it's really important that um, people growing up right now in the business learn to sort of understand the voice, the tone, the tenor, the tempo, Right. Uh, what they find in research uh, right. better than they have in the past. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, I agree with you, by the way. That's, uh, I think that's a great <laughs> point. <laughs> uh, I hope people listen to that. Um, so, so quick, uh, quick shift of topic. So yeah. thinking about maybe uh, other media podcasts, books, mm. sources that you find inspiration from either now or in the past, what, what comes to mind for you? Um, right now I'm a huge fan of the podcast, Everything is Alive. Mm -hmm. Have you listened to that one? Uh, I have not. Oh my God. <laughs> Help, me Help me out. Help me out. I asked this Everything question for me, right? Is a series of interviewers between the interview and inanimate objects. Uh, um, like yesterday we were listening to one in the car, you know, Josh, the, uh, oh God, completely lost my mind now. What was Josh, honey? talking to my husband. <laughs> Lowell says that he's, I've already lost everybody. He was a, yes, the chainsaw. Thank you, sweetie. That Josh, the chainsaw, right? And they had this discussion about, I mean, the ridiculous stuff about being a chainsaw. 
and about sort of the noises he makes and how he wants to sound like Cher or that he's never had a hug. <laughs> it's just, it's funny, but they intersperse it with like, um, they interviewed a, a, wom a woman from Britain who in World War II was part of the Lumberjills to cut okay. down trees to sort of, or, you know, the, the, the things they needed on uh, D-Day to, yeah, in World War II, on D-Day to come up uh, Omaha Beach. Uh, mm -hmm. to create sort of the mosquito planes, which are all made out of wood. And so there's this really sort of interesting juxtaposition they do. Um, like they did one on uh, a, a Sharpie. Um, <laughs> there's, the woman was the pen and the man was the cap. And uh, the, they kept talking about the pen and, and cap. We're talking about their life in an advertising agency, and it was <laughs> hysterical. So that's that's one of my big favorites. I'm also I'm kind of a uh, I'm not kind of I am a history nerd. So Hardcore History by Dan Carlin is one of my favorites, and I can listen to those things over and over again. And then of course Criminal, um, the Criminal podcast with Phoebe, who's also reading books these days. I just I find different things I need from each of them. Um, cool. And then the blog, the only blog that I read every week is Pop Culture Mondays uh, by Brooke Hammerling. Um, you know, she just, she writes about a, a variety of different things. I mm -hmm. love that she brings her own perspective and voice to it. Um, and I always come out of reading it with having jotted down one or two things that I want to like, oh, I should, I should weave that into this project for that. Mm -hmm. um, um, and right now for books, I'm kind of going through a phase of the inanimate. Oh, I go back to uh, Everything is Alive. Like I'm reading um, Cast, uh, The Origins of Our Discontent by Isabel Wilkerson. Have you read that yet? I have not. Oh my God. Just mind blowing. Yeah, I've read, read a lot like, about it. But anyway, yeah. Yep. History of Solitude. And then, um, which is, you know, just because I am a, I'm actually an introvert. <laughs> I love <laughs> my time alone, <laughs> and it's really eye-opening. And then, um, Snow. There's a book called Snow: A Scientific and Cultural Exploration that I'm in love with, and it all stems from a book I read probably 20 or 30 years ago called Cod: Fish That Change the World. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with books about these things, right? Guns, germs, and steel, yeah, salt, it's a great you know, all of these things. Um, and they, I don't know, they just helped me think. Yeah. Differently. Yeah. No, that's, that, that's excellent. So exactly. any, any clues that people could get to, uh, to tap in that mind of yours, I think. Yes. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. I, said, uh, I hope Rainey. so. I feel like I talked a lot. And... <laughs> well, I know, I know you have, I know you've seen maybe one or two of these podcasts so far. Oh, yeah. uh, and so I always end on this question. I hope you've had some time to think about it, but I did. Oh, you're stranded God. on a desert island. You said you're an introvert, right? So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you've got all the time in the world, but you only have three records. What are they? Yeah. And this was hard because I'm not a record or album person. I'm a, I love singles. I don't, you know, but then I realized that there were, it was actually, once I started thinking about it, much easier than I thought because the three albums that I returned to and every song I love is, and don't laugh, Billy Joel, Glass Houses. Okay. 
Very nice. John Prime. John Prime, Lost Dogs and Mixed Blessings. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then Lucinda Williams, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. I'll, I'll definitely pay you a visit uh, on your <laughs> island if you don't mind. <laughs> I, won't, I won't stay for all eternity because you didn't say Slayer, but... Other than oh that. yeah, <laughs> see now I would love like uh, back in black, but just that one song, or you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, or rough sex from you know whatever uh, at Lords of Acid, but just yeah. that one song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, super appreciate your time, Rini. Uh, this is uh, yeah, same. I hope. Uh, I hope people yeah. get something from it. So. Yeah, I think so. So uh, okay. thank you so much. We'll talk soon. And uh, yeah, cool. Rock and roll. Thanks. All right. See ya.